Well, good morning. As, uh, as Bruce mentioned, we are uh, starting a, uh, a series on, on the, the Reformation. Uh, and uh, this week, as I was, I was kind of preparing to do the next passage in Colossians, and I just realized it was, it was too good of an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, the Reformation. And just out of curiosity, how many of you are familiar with uh, the Reformation or what that means, what that was uh, couple of you. Okay, and, and so, so what I wanted to, to do is over these, these five weeks in October to, to talk briefly about the, the five solas, and I'll, and I'll mention them here. And, and the reason I, I want to talk about uh, the Reformation is because there, there are a few events in history, uh, and particularly sing, single days in history, that, that an event takes place and the world is forever changed. Uh, some of those have happened uh, in our lifetime or the lifetime uh, of uh, just a couple generations ago. September 11th, 2001. Right. Uh, September 10th, 2001 was a very uh, different uh, day. It was a very different uh, time. But as soon as, as soon as those planes hit the towers, the the, the world was changed, right? And now we are we're, we're fighting a, a war against terror. That uh, I'm not sure when the the end uh, will will come in that uh, in that battle. But uh, it's a very different world nowadays. Uh, and uh, another another day, another event that changed history, uh, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was when uh, the United States entered into World War II and, again, changing the trajectory of, uh, of history. Uh, another, another day that you may not be as familiar with would be July 16th, 1945. Some of you are scratching your heads. What, what day was that? That was, was the day the first... Uh, successful atomic weapon was detonated in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And from that day forward, now, now nuclear weapons were uh, a reality in the world where you could, you could drop a single bomb and level a city. And now uh, that has impacted the way uh, nations interact with one another, uh, what, we, what we think about at night. Uh, it's, it's dramatically transformed the world. Uh, uh, and... One of uh, another event, um, 500 years ago, uh, at the end of this month, uh, October 31st, 1517, uh, is an event that shows, I guess, that the pen is mightier than the sword, uh, as a, a little-known monk uh, took uh, a piece of paper and nailed it to a church door. Uh, and uh, his actions splintered Europe. Uh, he, he divided and created a... Uh, a division in uh, the, the Central and Western European powers that changed the trajectory. That's, that's why there's an America. That's why the, the pilgrims came, is because, as a result of the Protestant Reformation. And um, I think we need to understand that we, as Christians today, trace our history back to, to that event, that we trace our history back to what he did that day and, and what took place in the years that followed. And and history is a remarkable thing. Uh, Karl Marx said, if you can separate a person from his history, you can convince him of almost anything. And, and that's a remarkable quote because that's exactly what, what Karl Marx did. He, he wanted to get people to, to forget their history so that they would believe what he told them. Uh, and, and we need to, to remember history so that we learn uh, from its mistakes. Uh, we, we learn from, from the individuals who went before us. Uh, and the, uh, the remarkable truth is that history does what? It repeats itself. 
uh, and the issues that were on the table uh, 500 years ago during the time of the Reformation, uh, those are still the core issues that we face today. And the, the doctrines and issues that were at, at stake in the Reformation are still the, the core doctrines in our faith uh, 500 years later. You can say, what were the, what were the main issues of the Reformation? Well, well number one, it's, it's truth. What, where is truth to be found? Uh, and uh, who can understand that truth? Is it a limited number of people, uh, or can anybody understand truth? Uh, additionally, it's authority. Uh, who, who has the right to tell people what to believe? Or, or, the, or the authority to, to say what is true and what's not true? These are issues that were at stake uh, in the Reformation, and then I would say at, at its very core, the biggest issue, even though authority and truth were, were a part of that and they go hand in hand, the biggest issue in the Reformation was, how can I be right with God? How, how can I be in right relationship with my Creator? Uh, and those are the, the big issues that were at hand, and those were the, the big issues that the Reformers began to realize that the the Roman Catholic Church had, uh, there was a conflict between what they saw in Scripture and what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching. Uh, and so, uh, as a result of the Reformation, there was a, a clarification on five key doctrines that kind of became the, uh, the clarion call of the Reformers. Uh, and ironically, they're, they're most famously uh, remembered in Latin, uh, even though they were uh, rebelling against the, uh, the Roman Church. Uh, and th- those five statements would be sola scriptura, or scripture alone, sola gratia, or grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Uh, And uh, as I looked, hey, there's five Sundays in the month of October, and I thought it would be very uh, helpful for each, each Sunday this month to look at one of these and to understand why it's important, not just in church history, uh, not just in uh, something that you look at you know, 500 years ago, but hey, it's still important now and we still uh, stand on the, these important truths. So, uh, but, but a little bit of background about the, the Reformation. Uh, in, uh, in the 4th century, uh, this guy named uh, Jerome uh, translated uh, the, the Hebrew and Greek into Latin, which was the language of the Roman Empire. Okay, and that Bible became... Uh, the, the standard Bible that was used by the church for the next 1,100 years. Hey, think about that. That would be, think of the, why don't we use a Bible from 1,000 uh, A.D.? Well, because language has changed just a little bit uh, since uh, 1,000 A.D. And so uh, th- this Bible, it's known as the Latin Vulgate, uh, was what was used for 1,000 years in, in the churches. So the, the, the church had morphed into a, kind of a, uh, a place where people would come and they would hear the, the Bible read in a language they didn't understand. Uh, they would hear the services as mi- administered in a language they didn't understand, Latin. Uh, and uh, the Bible was forbidden from being translated into the common language. So it was, it was a world without the Word of God. Uh, there was no Bible that you, could, that you could immediately take up and read. And think about that. How many Bibles do you have in your home today? Uh, things that we take for granted of being able to come on a Sunday morning and immediately be able to open up God's Word and and read from it and understand it in our own language that was that was not available for quite some time during the Middle Ages and to translate the Bible into a common into a common language whether that be in German or English or French 
uh, was punishable by death. Now, they, they didn't want the, the common people reading God's word. So it was a, a, a world without the word of God. Additionally, it was, a, it was a continent controlled by the Pope. See, in medieval times, uh, every, every nation in Western and Central Europe was Roman Catholic. The, the Eastern uh, European states were Eastern Orthodox, uh, and North Africa was controlled by Islam. Uh, but everything that we know today from, from Spain to Poland, from Italy to uh, Great Britain or to the Scandinavian countries in the north, all of that was Roman Catholic. Uh, and the Pope, uh, as uh, the head of the church, uh, had authority over every Roman Catholic, which means he had control over every Monarch. He had control over kings and queens. He had he had the power to crown a monarch. He had the power to excommunicate. He had the power to to start a war or to stop a war. Everything that took place in Europe basically happened with the Pope's permission for uh, quite some time during the Middle Ages, and he was the one who who ran Europe. In essence, he was the, the, the monarch of a great empire, even though they, they wouldn't acknowledge that. Uh, additionally, uh, we see there was a, a people held hostage by, by the church. In, in the Middle Ages, the, the Roman Catholic Church uh, developed a doctrine called purgatory. Uh, and it's uh, an idea of an intermediate state between heaven and hell, uh, a place where a sinner could go uh, and continue to pay for their sins and to be purified uh, by fire, uh, in hopes that one day being able to to ascend uh, into heaven after you've paid for your sins, and uh, and while on earth uh, Roman Catholics could could participate in four sacraments that would uh, accomplish forgiveness in during their lifetime, and those those four sacraments were were baptism, or partaking of the Eucharist, or what we would call the, the Lord's uh, table, uh, uh, and then something called penance, which I'll explain in a second. Uh, and then extreme unction, which would be anointing uh, the sick. And if you faithfully observe these, these four um, sacraments, you could have your, your time in purgatory lessened, uh, and you could get to heaven faster. Well, in, in Martin Luther's day, the central practice of uh, Catholicism was penance. Uh, and what that meant was that uh, if you sinned, and we have all sinned, uh, that what you would need to do in order to, to be pardoned or forgiven for that sin by the church is that you would need to, uh, number one, exercise contrition. Uh, you would have to feel sorry for what you did. Secondly, you would have to go to a priest and confess. Uh, and then you would have to uh, do something or accomplish satisfaction. And that would be whatever the priest would tell you to go do. Uh, so think about that. You have to feel sorry. Go talk to the priest. And then whatever the priest said to do, you would have to go do that. And then you would have forgiveness. Or at least that's what they, what they taught. And once these things were, were done to the, to the priest's contentment, uh, and it would, had to be the priest to evaluate it, then he would say, okay, you're, you're forgiven for that. Uh, and, and the basis for, for granting forgiveness was that Christ had done extra works, uh, extra good works, and those were deposited in heaven and that the church was able to to dispense those extra good works and apply them to to your life. Uh, the Pope had that power, and the church had that power. Uh, and so if you if you did these things, God, Christ's works could be dispensed or, or given to your account um, instead. And in addition to uh, 
to this, those sacraments, you could also uh, go and, and do a pilgrimage and see a relic uh, on holy days. Or you could uh, also do something ca- called purchasing an indulgence. Okay, and, and an indulgence was an official document, just a piece of paper, that granted by the Pope that would substitute for all of that, uh, all of that act of penance. So if you purchased the indulgence, you didn't have to feel sorry or go and confess and be contrite uh, for or do the satisfaction to go and do that action. You could just go and purchase this indulgence and and you could be forgiven. So you could you could skip all of the work and still be forgiven if only you just paid this money and bought this indulgence. So in essence, they, they had established this teaching and this program where sinners could buy forgiveness for money. And in addition to, to granting, uh, you know, forgiveness, uh, this kind of helped out uh, in the, the bank account of Rome. Uh, and it was actually driven by uh, Pope Leo X um, wanting to remodel St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, in, in Vatican City. Uh, and so he authorized the special sale of indulgences in order to raise money for that remodeling. And a man named uh, John Tetzel, uh, a high-pressure salesman was, uh, I guess, uh, delegated to oversee the sale of those indulgences. And he, he was a, I guess, uh, in the worst possible way, he was a great salesman. salesman. He even had a, a catchy uh, phrase that he would use uh, in going around to these cities to promote uh, the sale of these indulgences. He, he would say, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. See, in addition to being able to uh, to purchase your own forgiveness, you could purchase the salvation or the release from purgatory of your loved ones. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Hey, if you just pay this money, I can get your loved ones out of purgatory and into heaven. Right? Uh, and uh, the naturally, such a such a guarantee was was music to the, the poor people of Europe. Say, hey, I, I just I can do these things and be assured of forgiveness. I can I can get my my mom or my dad or, or uh, a loved one out of purgatory and into heaven by buying this indulgence. So even the poor of Europe were doing everything that they could to go and spend money to buy indulgences. And these indulgences were sold so fast that they literally had to mint money on the spot where they were selling them. And I'm sorry, that just that that breaks my heart. Of as soon as you tell people, just just buy this and and you can be saved. That's that's so misleading. One, uh, so so as Luther is seeing all of this, he he gets upset because he had begun to study God's word and he began to realize there's a discrepancy here. God's word nowhere says just pay this money and purchase forgiveness. God doesn't want that. Uh, and so what Martin Luther began to, to see is that the Bible doesn't teach indulgences. Later on, he would discover it doesn't teach purgatory, and the Pope doesn't have the authority that he claims to have. But when he, when he initially wrote down the, these 95 theses and, and nailed them to the church door, in, in Wittenberg, he was primarily just attacking, hey, we can't, you can't just sell these indulgences and say people are forgiven. And he, he made a great point of, if the Pope has such power to, to forgive sins in this way, why is he not doing it for free? 
Well, why is he saying you have to pay for it? See, Martin Luther began to realize that the Bible teaches that while all men are sinners, that those who come to God in faith, trusting that their sin can be forgiven, not on the basis of the purchase of an indulgence, not on the basis of anything that they do, but on the basis of faith in God's Son, that they could be forgiven and that they could be assured that they were forgiven completely. Because again, if you constantly have to work for your salvation, what, what question is always hanging in the balance? Have I done enough? What is my standing with God right now? I may have been good last week, but what about right now? Uh, And so Martin Luther desired assurance, and he found it in Scripture. And so when he began to see this, and he was just outraged by what John Tetzel was doing, he, like any good academic, what did he do? He wrote a paper. Uh, And he he wrote uh, uh, 95 theses. It was intended just to, to stir up debate. Uh, he, he took his paper and he nailed it to the church door, intending for all of the, the academics, all of the professors at the university to come and, hey, let's discuss this, let's debate this, let's try and figure out where the, our church uh, ha, has gone astray. But uh, that action actually triggered something that, that he didn't realize at the time. And this little thing called the printing press that had just been invented uh, helped to to spread uh, Luther's writings uh, like wildfire. Suddenly, every, every German uh, was able to suddenly read Luther's dissent against the Roman Catholic Church. See, his 95 theses were written in German, and suddenly you have everybody in Germany who's able to read that and say, oh, yeah, why, if the Pope is able to forgive sins for free, why is he charging us? Why would he do that? And so uh, the, the, the Reformation spread rapidly. And uh, ultimately, but even though it spread rapidly, things moved a little bit slower back in those days. So that happened in 1517, and four years later, he was, he was formally charged with heresy by the Pope, and he called to give an account. Uh, and uh, there was a, a meeting called the Diet of Worms. And that's not a new meal plan, uh, but uh, uh, a diet is just an imperial assembly. Uh, so it, it's a... Uh, this assembly took place in this, the German city of Worms, or more accurately, uh, Worms. Uh, and on the first day of the trial, they, they spread out all of Martin Luther's writings on the table in front of him and said, hey, are these yours? Uh, and, and do you want to, to recount anything that, that's been, that you've written? And he said, well, I'm not sure, because what he had written at that point in time was also, there were some things that were within the bounds of, of what the Catholic Church taught. So he said, well, well I'm not sure. Do you want me to get rid of all of it? Or, I've written some things that would be that they would accept. Uh, and ultimately, the, the, the next question that they asked was, "Hey, will, will you recount?" And and Luther wanted to debate. He thought he was coming there to debate, to to have a discussion. But they didn't want to debate. They just wanted to shut him down. And they just said, "Will you recant?" And he, and he said, "Let me have a day to think about this because this was this was big." Because either he was going to completely put aside everything uh, that he had just seen and understood in God's word, he was going to lie to himself, or he was going to save his life, right? Because that's what's hanging in the balance here. That's a big decision. So he said, hey, let me, let me, let me spend a little bit of time in prayer and thinking about this. And uh, the assembly uh, talked briefly, and they said, okay, well, we'll give you till tomorrow. And, and the next day... He came back, and again, Luther was hoping to debate to get to defend himself, uh, but they just said, no, will, will you recant? And 
And Martin Luther said, said this. He says, Since then, your serene majesty and your lordship seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner, not embellished. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound to the scriptures. I have quoted, I, have, I am bound to the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. And as soon as he said that, he in essence wrote his own uh, death warrant. Uh, and shortly after that, he he went into into exile and he went into hiding for uh, basically for the rest of his life, as there was a, a bounty on his head by the Roman Catholic Church. But but as Luther, as Luther wrestled that night, you can, you can imagine what he was thinking about. Of, of what, what do I obey? No, what, what, what is my source of authority? Do I listen to everything that the, that the church is telling me is true? Or, or do I trust what God has written in his word? No, there's competing truth claims there. Uh, and he said, ultimately, I, I, can't, I can't go against what God's word has said. And he was looking at, at the church. He says, I know there's been instances where they've disagreed and they've been wrong and all of these instances. But I've, so I, I realize God's word is true and it, it's never been demonstrated to be wrong. It's never been proved false. So ultimately, he came to the conclusion that he was going to trust God's word. And, and this gets to, to the heart of the first uh, sola of the Reformation, sola scriptura which answers the question, what is the highest authority in the Christian life? Uh, is, it, uh, is it a church? Is it an individual? Uh, is it uh, another organization? What, what is the highest authority in the Christian life? Uh, and ultimately the conclusion that, that Luther came to, uh, along with other reformers who began to see the same things at the same time and wrestle with the same issues, is that Scripture must lead us and guide us. But that was, a, that was the opposite view of what the Roman Catholic Church held. So uh, there's, there's, uh, the first issue kind of with uh, the doctrine of, of sola scriptura is the, the issue, and they're interrelated, so I'll say there's two things, and I'm going to treat them as one issue. Uh, authority and sufficiency. Because if, if God's word is completely authoritative and it's the only thing that we need, then it is enough. It's sufficient. But if there's, if there's something else that's needed along with God's word, then obviously God's word is incomplete and it's not enough, right? So, so authority and sufficiency go hand in hand. So the Roman Catholic view of authority were that there were three sources of authority in the Roman Catholic Church. The first was the word of God. So that we can say, okay, that's great. Uh, the second source of authority would be church tradition of things that had been decided previously uh, by the church, and that was, that was binding. And then the, the third uh, leg to that three-legged stool would be what's known as the magisterium. You're like, what is that? Uh, the magisterium is just a, a fancy word talking about the, the authority of 
the Catholic Church to teach God's word. It was their teaching office. So, uh, and that would have been made up of the cardinals and bishops and the Pope himself. Uh, and that, uh, that those three sources were what uh, the Roman Catholics viewed as authoritative. And this is, uh, this is a quote from the, the Catechism of uh, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, which uh, you can look up online. It says, the, the church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So here they're, they're saying uh, Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God, inerrant, infallible, uh, and now that what they what they want to do is raise their tradition, their own teachings, to be at the same level of authority as God's word. Uh, and if you think of uh, what it, what the implications are, if they were treated with equal honor, devotion, and reverence, um, another implication of the the Roman Catholic view is that if I said if if it's God's word plus the authority of and tradition of the church, then God's word alone is not sufficient. It's not enough. There, we have to add something uh, to God's word in order to be able to understand how to live faithfully before God. Uh, so in essence, they, they would say that uh, there's multiple things that are authoritative and that any one of them is insufficient. Uh, hence, uh, the, the official dogmas and traditions of the church were what uh, a believer would need in order to live a life of faith. Well, uh, contrast that to, to the Protestant view, and, and what I would argue is the, the biblical view. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at, uh, at a couple things. But let me, let me explain what Scripture alone means. Scripture alone, sola scriptura, means that the Word of God is the final and exclusive authority for the Christian life. Uh, now, what, what that does not mean, that does not mean that we totally disregard history and tradition. Okay? Uh, th- we can learn a lot from looking at history uh, and tradition. And to a certain extent, that's exactly what we're doing this month of October. We're looking at, hey, what is, what is the church taught in the past and why is that important? Uh, so I'm not saying that we disregard all tradition. Uh, and I'm not saying that there are no other sources of information uh, or knowledge in the world. But what I am saying is that Scripture alone is the final and exclusive authority for the life of the Christian. Uh, and that every tradition that we would look to uh, must be uh, evaluated by God's Word rather than something else. Uh, scripture becomes the measuring stick that we measure every teaching of man, uh, including my own. Uh, don't take uh, what I say at face value. Uh, you hold me accountable to, to the word of God. It becomes the lens that we, that we look through at everything else and say, what does God's word say about this? Uh, and so, so God's word claims to be authoritative. If you, if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts uh, chapter 17. This is uh, in, in the middle of, I believe, Paul's second uh, missionary journey. Uh, and he, he's going around from city to city, and he is proclaiming the gospel in synagogue. So he, he's going to the Jewish people who have the Old Testament scriptures, uh, and he's saying to them, hey, this is the, the Messiah that we have been waiting for has come, and his name is Jesus. And he was crucified for our sins, and if we now believe in him, we can be forgiven and be in right relationship with God. Well, uh, let's pick things up in Acts 17, verse 10. 
Uh, it says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And what made them more noble? They received the word with all eagerness. But, but they didn't just accept what Paul was saying blindly. What did they do? Look, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So let's look at, there's, there's somebody who comes into town claiming to, to teach God's word. Okay? Uh, what do these Bereans do when that person comes to town? And this is the Apostle Paul. Uh, he comes to town, and, and what do they hold him accountable to? God's word. They hold him accountable to Scripture. And then based upon what, they say, hey, okay, does what Paul is saying line up with what we see in the Old Testament? Uh, and if it, if it did, they would believe. But if it did not, the implication is what would they do? They would reject. They would say, no, you're not teaching according to, to what God's word says. So we can't listen to you. But verse 12, what was the result? They, they saw that what Paul was saying was in Scripture. And the result was that they, they believed. Uh, so even the apostle Paul was, was accountable and under the authority of God's word. Okay, this is, scripture claims to be authoritative. As, as one pastor, Kevin DeYoung, says, he says, no, the last word always goes to the word of God. We must never allow the teachings of, of, of science, of human experience, or of church councils to take precedence over scripture. Uh, and that's why this is still relevant today, because uh, the, the world around us is constantly trying to elevate other things above Scripture, whether that would be human reason, whether that would be human experience, whether that would be uh, a church council, whether that would be uh, a spiritual vision or experience that we've had, all of these things that the, the world around us wants to elevate above the written Word of God. But God's Word claims to be authoritative, and it claims to be authoritative because it claims to be inspired, literally breathed out by God. Turn over to, to 2 Timothy Chapter two. It'll be just to the right in your in your Bible. I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter three. Uh, great great verses uh, to memorize. Uh, if you're working in children's ministry, how many of you have ever done Awana ministry? Right. What's one of the first verses that you have to memorize in Awana? Second uh, Timothy, John three sixteen, uh, and Second Timothy uh, three uh, sixteen. Uh, read with me. Verse 16 in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, how much? That's an exact number. You realize that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, we have another exact number there. Uh, We have all scripture and every good work. Uh, And so, uh, the scriptures claim to be inspired to come directly from God. Uh, and uh, thus the, the, the scriptures are, are linked with, with God's character, with what he has said because they come directly from him. But uh, additionally, we have this reality that, that, that God breathed out the scripture. But did he, is this saying that God just like, uh, he, he spoke and then a book appeared? 
how, how did this, this come to us? Well, God used uh, prophets. He used individuals. He used men to write down his words to other men. Turn uh, further to the right in your Bible to Second Peter. In chapter 1 uh, in Second in Peter. It's going to be very informative of how this process of, of uh, a divine author, the Holy Spirit, using human instruments to, to communicate his word. Now, let, let's jump in. Uh, earlier in this paragraph, Peter is looking back to his own eyewitness account of the, seeing the glory of God. And he's saying, I saw Jesus transfigured. I saw him in glory. Uh, but verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Paul, Peter there is saying uh, that the written word that you hold in your hand was more reliable than his own eyewitness account of what he saw. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to what you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so as, as these men wrote, the Holy Spirit carried them along, guiding them in what they should write, uh, so that what we have in our hands today is the inspired word of God that can be trusted and must be submitted to because if it's coming directly from God whose authority does it carry it carries his authority and if it's inspired a natural result of that is it that it would also be without error uh, we call that the, the inerrancy of scripture because if it comes from a God who only speaks truth and cannot lie what should we expect to find uh, in God's word only truth and, and no falsehoods, no lies within God's word. And that, that is what makes God's word authoritative. It claims to be authoritative, that you hold everything up to it. Uh, it is the, the final authority. Because if we put something else above God's word, what are we really doing? What are we, what are we saying about ultimate authority? Whether this would be rationalism or uh, empiricism of, hey, uh, I, need to, I need to put my hands on something in order for me to really believe it. Well, what has just become the final authority in life? what I can see and what I can touch. Uh, or uh, with rationalism of, of that reason is the highest authority. Well, then everything has to, uh, to submit to my own reason. But what's, do I think perfectly? No, I, I think uh, imperfectly. Uh, and I can't know everything. So there's no way for me to know and evaluate everything. And that's where rationalism just fails as a worldview. But uh, that's a separate subject in terms of that. But uh, the reality is that Scripture must be the final authority in our lives. And uh, because it is an exclusive authority, it also means that the Word of God is sufficient. Uh, that, that everything that we need to know to live a life that's pleasing to God, everything that we need to follow Christ, uh, to, ha to know salvation, is clearly explained in the Scriptures. Uh, since we're there in Second Peter, just look at Second Peter chapter one, uh, verse three. It says His divine power has granted to us all things, again an exact number, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Everything that we need to know uh, for life and godliness is found in scripture. We don't have to look at another location. There's not another source that we have to turn to. Uh, we can find everything in scripture. And uh, 
even just thinking back to what we read in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 3.17, that the, the scripture uh, helps uh, that the man of God would be complete, equipped for, some, is it some good works? No, it was every good work. Of, and now I like to jokingly say, of, hey, so then if the, word of God, if the word of God isn't in your life, what are you equipped for? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, and usually that gets the attention of, uh, of teens or kids as I speak to them. What? Yeah, we, we need the word of God because it helps us. Uh, it shows us, if you think of those four categories, if it's profitable for, for teaching, it lays out the path that we're to walk on. Uh, it shows us when we go off the path. It shows us how to get back on the path and how to continue. Uh, that's the, the teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Uh, and so Sola Scriptura is... It clearly proclaims the authority and the sufficiency of God's word. And additionally, another another issue that I'm a, two two things that go hand in hand that are inseparable would be the clarity and interpretation. Uh, clarity and the interpretation of Scripture. See, now, the Roman Catholic view, and I'm, I'm going to again quote from the the Catechism, the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. This is what it says: the task of interpreting the Word of God authentically has been entrusted solely. That's an important word. It has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the church, that is, to the pope and to the bishops in communion with him. Now, now what that means is that the Catholic Church claims to be the only one who can accurately understand and interpret the Bible. So, So what does that immediately do for everybody who wants to know God? Who are they now dependent upon? They're immediately dependent upon the Catholic Church. But then the question arises, well, what if the Catholic Church begins to go astray? If I'm dependent upon, uh, upon a church or even another individual, uh, what happens if that individual or that church begins to go astray? Uh, and that's why uh, the, what the, the Reformers uh, spoke of, of, to contrast the Roman Catholic view, the Protestant view, the, the, the Reformation view, is that every believer is able to read and understand the Bible for themselves. Uh, and they are able to clearly understand what the Bible teaches. That, and that, that scripture, uh, th- there's a clarity that comes with scripture. Right? Now, I'm not saying that when you read it, you'll never, ever be confused. Uh, some, if, if you've read the Bible, you're like, oh, I need, I need somebody to help explain this. But the reality is the clarity of scripture means that on the major doctrines of how, how to be saved, how to be in right relationship with the Lord, anybody and everybody can read the Bible and come to the right conclusions. Uh, that, that you can understand how to be in right relationship with God if you simply read the Bible. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll, but I'll read it. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verses 11 to 14. Moses, speaking to the people of Israel, says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Uh, this, this reality that uh, it's not too far off. It's not, it's not so uh, exalted that you can't comprehend it. It's not so distant uh, that you can't reach it, but you can read and understand God's word for yourself. Uh, and, and that's encouraging because that means that there's, there's nobody that the, the Bible 
uh, is too much for. Now, it's not just given to, to a group of academics or, or to pastors or priests, but it is written to us and, and for us. Uh, and so the, these, these issues of authority uh, and sufficiency and clarity and interpretation, they are, they are important matters, uh, and they are summed up in all a part of this idea of, of sola scriptura. And but again, why are, why are the, we've talked about what it was, what was taught 500 years ago. But, but now let's, bring, let's flash forward. Let, let's do some time travel and bring those doctrines to the modern day church and to our lives on a daily basis. Why is this still important today? Well, number one, it, it demonstrates that God has a desire to have a relationship with you as an individual. See, if God wrote his word so that only a few people could understand it, what would that say? That would say God wants to have a relationship with, with them. But the fact that every single person can open God's word and understand it, what does that say? It says that God wants to speak to you. He, he wants you to hear from him. He wants you to understand who he is. The Bible is not a book for a select few. It's a book for everyone. And that is encouraging, and that is contrary to what was being taught in, and practiced in the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago. Uh, and uh, we want that to be a part of your life today. Now, that's why we want to encourage you to be reading the Bible on a daily basis. Uh, it's great to come uh, and, and hear the Word of God taught on a Sunday morning, right? Uh, but that's one time out of the week. So which one is more? Let's do some basic math. Uh, if you read the Bible uh, even just five times during the week, is that more or less than the one time on Sunday morning? Right? The, even, even the kids can understand that, right? Which one's more, one or five? Five, yeah. So you reading uh, the Bible on a daily basis and, and understanding you being in relationship with God. Don't treat me as your mediator. If you want to hear from God, open up your Bible. Like, yes, you'll hear God's word taught when you come on Sunday morning, but, but you are able to go to God on your own. That was the, another Reformation doctrine that, that every believer is his own priest, that you don't need to go to a priest to have a relationship with God. You can go directly to God because Christ is our high priest. He's the only mediator we need. So first and foremost, sola scriptura is important today because it demonstrates that God has a desire to have a relationship with you as an individual. And secondly, it gives us hope because we can hear from God. Right? We, you can hear from God at any time that you want. How do you do that? Open your Bible. And, and how encouraging is that? And what a blessing that is. And again, not every generation has had that ability. Not every generation has had the privilege of, of the Bible in their own language in, in a way that they can immediately come and access God and what he says. Psalm, psalm 119, which is an amazing psalm, uh, written about the word of God. And literally every single verse in that psalm has another word for God's teaching, his rules, his precepts. Psalm 119, verse 24, the psalmist writes, he says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. If you, if you want to hear counsel from God, if you want to hear wisdom from God, go where? To his word. We can go directly to him. We can hear from him. Thirdly, Sola Scriptura protects us against false teaching. Now, as we saw with, with Paul and the Bereans, Paul comes to town and says, okay, uh, how, how do they guard and know that Paul isn't a false teacher? Because what he says is in line with what the scriptures say. Uh, and that, that the Bible as God's once-for-all uh, 
word delivered down to his people reveals how we can be in a relationship with him. And it, uh, again, it becomes the, the measuring stick for how we evaluate everything else. Uh, and uh, imagine if we, if we didn't have the Bible to evaluate what was right and what was wrong. What would be the situation? Who would we, be, who would we follow? Any, yeah, ourselves or anybody who, who claims to speak for God? And are there a lot of people that claim to speak for God? Absolutely. So how do we know who to follow and who, who not to follow? Do, do wolves uh, come and, and announce that they're wolves? or How do they dress? <laughs> sheep's, sheep's clothing. And that's how they get into the flock. That's how they come in among the sheep. They disguise themselves. So that's where we need the word of God to protect us against false teaching. Fourthly, sola scriptura, sola scriptura easy for me to say, uh, finalizes God's revelation to man. To turn to, to Jude, we're, we're there in, in Peter. There's a couple books to the right. Jude, just before Revelation. Jude 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That, hey, the, the, the faith ha, has been delivered. It's been given to us once for all. It's, it is already complete and, and finalized. We don't need to add additional revelation to God's word, and we should not. Just turn over to the last book in the Bible, the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22. The Bible uh, closes with these verses, with this warning, in verse 18 of Revelation 22. John writes, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So we're not to, to add anything to Revelation. And uh, again, that's where the Bible helps us to identify false teaching. It's remarkable how many Christian cults and other religions accept the Bible, but then add something to it. Okay? Uh, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church, they would, they would say, hey, we accept the Bible, but we also need to add church tradition. Okay? Uh, Islam, Muslims accept the Bible. What do they add to it? The Quran. Mormons ex- accept the Bible, but what do they add to it? Uh, the Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Abraham, and Doctrines and Covenants. They, they, they add additional revelation to what God has said. And, and so others treat, treat visions and dreams and spiritual experiences as revelation from God. I need these other things to understand what God wants me to do. That wasn't, and that's not a new thing. We saw in Colossians, Paul addressed that. He says, don't, don't let anybody condemn you and, and try and lead you astray talking about uh, visions and talk about, hey, you need to go this route or, or being puffed up with visions. And so it, we don't need to add anything to Revelation, and then we must not change anything in God's Word. Okay? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, what do they do? They, they, in John 1.1, 1, 1, they change uh, the Word was God to the Word was a God. It's like, oh, that's, that's one letter, that's one word, but that's a big change. Uh, that, that removes Jesus from being the second member of the Trinity and into being a created being. Uh, it completely changes theology, one little word. We're not supposed to change God's word. Uh, additionally, another example would be Roman Catholicism changing the Ten Commandments. Uh, if, you, if you know the, the Ten Commandments, I remember them. Uh, hand motions is my, my children's pastor days. Uh, 
Commandment one, you should have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, no, no graven images. Well, that's, that's left out of the, the Roman Catholic Ten Commandments. They, they, they alter it uh, and kind of skip over it. Uh, and that's why they have all of these, these icons that they begin to, to worship. That's why you have to take a pilgrimage to, to visit an icon in, in order to get uh, your sins forgiven. Uh, that was one of their teachings. Uh, and that's where God's word is, is so important uh, in, in these things. Fifthly, Sola Scriptura shows that God's word is able to transform lives. And this is, this is the one that gives me the most hope. Uh, this is the one that, that I think it, it hits home the most in our modern day because oftentimes we think that, that what we're facing, no one else has ever faced in, in human, human history. Uh, that my experience is unique. Uh, and I, how am I ever going to know what to do? And the authority of the Bible and the sufficiency of Scripture, that, that God's word is enough, means that there is nothing that you will experience in your life that God's word is not able to shepherd and teach you about how you need to respond, that God would have you to respond. Uh, that God's word is sufficient and able to give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. Uh, that, is, that is the... Think the lasting legacy of sola scriptura, uh, and just so in case you think that everything that I that I mentioned today regarding the, the Roman Catholic Church or other things and that are competing for for our uh, thoughts and, and minds and ideas, uh, everything that I that I spoke about isn't just something like in the distant past. Uh, in in 2013, uh, the 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 Pope announced another. Uh, indulgence that was offered if if you would go and participate in the youth, the world youth days in brazil uh, you could get a, a plenary indulgence in which your your sins could be forgiven if you just go and participate in this in this event um, you you could have an indulgence you, your sins could be forgiven this isn't something that's just in the distant past this is still uh, a teaching of of the church and this is this reality that that scripture must be the guiding principle in our lives this impacted the the reformers to such an extent that they they were willing to rebel against the only power structure that they had ever known against against the the roman catholic church and and even though martin luther was he was one man and he started the reformation but but he did not carry the reformation see that what made the reformation move forward uh, was that, that after uh, Martin Luther went into exile, uh, and he's, he's there hiding in a, a castle in, uh, in Germany, uh, he spends his time translating the, God's word from the Greek and the Hebrew into German. Uh, and when he finishes, there is now for the first time ever a, a Bible in the common language of the people. And with the printing press, it began to, it began to spread. Uh, and so Martin Luther knew what God's word had done in his own life, how it had transformed him. And he wanted that to be in the hands of, of every German. Okay? And the other reformers began to work on similar projects. A man named William Tyndale, an Englishman, began, or became determined to translate the Bible into, into English. And, and he was often maligned for, for doing so. Again, it's illegal, so he had to go into exile. He had to leave England and go to the, the European mainland. 
But one time in speaking with a, a learned, and I say that in quotes, uh, a learned clergyman, he, he says this. He says, uh, if God spares my life, before many years I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more about the Bible than you do. Think about that. He, William Tyndale was so convinced that anybody could understand God's word uh, and that anybody could apply it to their life uh, and that the, the word of God was able to transform lives, that he was willing to, to, to make that claim of, hey, you, you clergymen, a little boy who can drive a plow is going to know more about the Bible than you do. And ultimately, he was so convinced that God's word was able to transform lives that, that he spent his life translating the Bible and it cost him his life. He had to go into exile because to translate the Bible was illegal. And he was eventually betrayed by a friend and arrested, taken back to England where he died of strangulation. And then they burned his body in the city square as a warning to everybody else of, no, you don't, you don't translate God's word. Uh, and what, what would cause somebody to die and to work their entire life on such a project? What do you have to be convinced of? Yeah, you have to be convinced that this is God's word and this is the most valuable thing that God has given to man and it must have its rightful place. And just that idea, if I can get it to people, people can be transformed. They can hear from God. They can read and understand his word. And, and the reality is that's often what we have forgotten because how do we treat our Bibles usually? as something that people died to get us, uh, as something that, uh, that is so uh, treasured and cherished because of what it, it gives to us. No, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. We, we become familiar with something and it loses its value. And, and I think we need to realize that the, the, this is a, uh, it was important 500 years ago and it's still important today, that, that God's word is the final authority in our lives and we must treat it as such. So uh, I'm going to pray. And as, as we usually uh, do, we'll, we'll have a, just kind of a, a minute after I pray of just uh, before we sing a song, just for you to, to pray in the quietness of your heart and to examine yourself of, Lord, how do you want me to, to respond to this? What is it that I need to change uh, in my life? How am I exalting other authorities over your word? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you thanking you, praising you, that in your wisdom, in your goodness, in your faithfulness, you have chosen to, to reveal yourself to us through your written word. Lord, you have given us the Bible. You have used other godly men who have sacrificed their lives, who have given themselves wholly to the, the task of preparing a Bible that we can read easily that we can read in our own language, that we can understand, that we can understand what you call us to, that what you are trying to teach us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for desiring to have a relationship with us and for communicating to us through your word. Lord, show us the ways that we have taken that for granted. Show us the authorities that we have turned to instead of your word uh, to guide us in our Christian life. Lord, help us to turn from those and turn back to you, to trust wholly and completely in Christ for our salvation, to trust wholly and completely in your word, to lead us and guide us in our Christian lives. 
Lord, we, we love you. We long to live for you. And may you use us as instruments in your hands in the same way that you used Martin Luther, in the same way that you used William Tyndale. Lord, we thank you for their example, and we long to be faithful to your word as well. We ask this in the name of the word made flesh, your son, Jesus Christ.